Good morning. Isn't it wonderful to be here? I got corrected last week, so I have to fess up to all of y'all. I have been standing up here every week making this bold proclamation that there is no place I would rather be than here. And then last week after services, Rob Haley came up to me and he said, Blake, is there really no place you would rather be? I said, ah, you got me. So I have to change what I say. There's no place on this side of eternity that I would rather be than right here with you. Isn't it good to be together? It is. Hey, I've been uh, beginning each lesson by kind of highlighting a ministry that's special and important here at Oldham Lane. And today I want to talk a little bit about our greeter ministry. You may have noticed eh, about the beginning of the school year, I think it was as summer was winding down, that Will Barbie approached me and asked if he could start up a greeter ministry. He talked about the importance of just having a smiling face when people roll up to the building. And since then, you've been greeted by smiling faces as you rolled up to the building. And I think that's such such an important thing that happens here, for people to get out of the car and be greeted and told hello and smiled at, and um, a connection point for not just our visitors, but our members too, just to make us feel welcome and, and remind us how special it is to be together. If you uh, are looking for a place to serve, I'm going to tell you, Will is looking for volunteers. His contact information is in the bulletin, and we would love to grow our greeter team and make you a part of that. So um, I uh, would encourage you to look into that. We are in our last lesson in our I Am Jesus series. And so we've uh, um, had quite a ride together. This has been exciting to me. I feel like I have learned a lot about Jesus. I mean, I knew who he was, but really digging into these bold statements that he has made about himself have really helped me grow and and see all of the powerful and, and nuanced ways he interacts with our lives. We've talked about him being the, the bread of life, the light of the world, the door, the good shepherd, the resurrection and the life, the way and the truth and the life. And now finally we're going to talk about Jesus as the true vine. And we find that in John chapter 15. So I'd love for you all to get your Bibles out. That's where we're going to spend the bulk of our time is in the first 16 verses of John chapter 15. So open them up to there. This, this passage is pretty similar in form to what we saw with the extended metaphor of Jesus as the door and the good shepherd. And by that I mean the first thing that we see in the first eight verses of this passage, is Jesus introduced a really vivid metaphor that helps us see something in a powerful way, but doesn't really answer all of our questions. And then he moves into the last half of the verse that on first reading can seem a little disconnected from the I am statement, but he extends the metaphor and he explains it and he helps us see exactly what it is that he was talking about. So we're going to unpack those two halves together in kind of two separate parts this morning. Um, I, I do want to talk a little bit about a vine. Most of us are not real familiar with grapevines around here. So I tried to think, what is something that's similar that we do have some familiarity with? And I think it's probably trees. Maybe that's a bold statement since we live in West Texas. But most of us have some sort of trees um, in our landscaping or at least familiar with them. And I want you to think a little bit about what you see when you look at a tree. You know, coming out of the ground, of course, you see the main part of the tree that we're often drawn to, and it's the trunk. And the trunk goes up, and it extends outward, and you see coming from the trunk limbs. 
And then coming off of the limbs are some smaller branches. And on those branches are where we see the, the leaves, or if it's a fruit tree, we see the fruit produced. There's a lot of differences between a grapevine and a tree, but there's also a lot of similarities. We uh, maybe don't manipulate trees quite as much as they used to manipulate grapevines, but we're also pretty familiar with the process. I mean, a lot of you probably have plants that were designed to grow a little more like trees, but you've trimmed them into shrubs in your front yard. And so how do you do that? You, you trim the tips of the leaves off, and when you do that, it causes the, the plant to put its energy in a different spot and creates this more of a bush type of a plant. Or maybe you have a tree in your front yard that you want to provide shade to your family, and so you trim it a little different. You reach up on the inside, and you trim the, the limbs out from the inside of the tree, and that causes it to grow in a way that goes upward and outward and provides shade. So we certainly understand the concept of, of trimming and pruning and, and manipulating a tree for our pleasure and for our good. One thing is for certain. No matter how much manipulating, no matter how much trimming you do, the one thing you don't do to a tree is cut on the trunk. You don't cut on the trunk unless it is a really serious situation because the trunk of the tree is where all of the life emanates from. As we introduce this metaphor of the vine, I want you to see the vine as if it is a trunk. Okay? It's the part of this growing plant that's preserved and kept safe. And then outward from that vine, we read about the branches. Those are the parts of, of this plant that are manipulated for size and health and fruitfulness. You certainly wouldn't want a tree or a grapevine putting energy into a fruitless branch. If you had a tree in your yard that had a, had a limb that wasn't producing any leaves because it was dead or sick or diseased, it would be in that tree's best interest to trim it off and dispose of it and get rid of it. You don't want to allow dead limbs to hang and break and create safety issues. With all of that in mind about how we work with trees, I want to introduce this metaphor of the vine as Jesus did. John 15, chapter 1. So, sorry, John chapter 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So we see here in this first section, Jesus doesn't waste any time to getting to the point. He jumps right in, and he tells us what we need to know. He starts by saying, all right, I'm the true vine. My Father is the vine dresser. And not very long after that, he introduces ourselves, the disciples, as the branches. So very quickly into this metaphor, we have the key players in place. And I think in a sense, as Jesus jumps in so quickly, what he's really doing is being sure that he connects with and corrects a misunderstanding that these Old Testament following Jews might have had. Because you see, all throughout the Old Testament, 
we see this imagery of the vine used to represent Israel. Isaiah 5, 7, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, and but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, an outcry. Or Hosea 10, 1 through 2, Israel is a luxuriant vine that yields its fruit. The more his fruit increased, the more altars he built. As his country improved, he improved his pillars. Their heart is false. Now they must bear their guilt. The Lord will break down their altars and destroy their pillars. That's just a sampling of what we see in the Old Testament. But the thing is this, this Old Testament imagery often used Israel, often used the image of a vine to describe Israel in the context of their fruitlessness. And so, so the vine was often used to describe the problems that Israel has. And Jesus steps in and he says, okay, I want you all to understand something. I am the true vine. In other words, someone has arrived now that stands in contrast to what you have experienced in the past. I'm the true vine, okay? I am what has been looking for. And I contrast with Israel and that I'm going to produce fruit the way that I'm supposed to. And this gives us a way to view God's working in history and into the future in a way that's really powerful. So you look back in history and you see all of the problems that Israel had and the way that God has worked with these different groups of people over different times. And you see that sometimes things were good and sometimes things weren't good. And what has God been doing throughout history? He's been pruning and trimming the vine. He's been encouraging those things that are fruitful and cutting off those things that are not. And how can we expect him to act well into the future? Well, I think we can expect him to act the same way. God is committed to caring for the vine, and Jesus is the central trunk that's not going to be touched. And God's action is to manipulate and work with all that is out there to provide health to the vine and glory to himself. It's through this powerful imagery that Jesus provides answers to three major questions that I think we all have. You see them up here on the screen. It's the what and the how and the why. Now, this is an image that I stole from a motivational speaker, I guess you could say. It's not a religious image. His name is Simon Sinek, and he has a, uh, uh, did a wonderful TED Talk that went viral. It has millions of views, I believe. This golden circle is what he calls this. Um, and it was a popular way of thinking about business models and how they view and, and, and maybe communicate their mission statement. Um, it's really provided pretty powerful for me in how I've looked at and think about my own spirituality. I want to talk about it just for a second. You see, this, uh, you see these concentric circles with what, how, and why. You know, we often start with this outside layer of what. If I think about Oldham Lane and ask myself, what's our what? I think most of you would very quickly go to make and grow disciples. We talk about that quite a bit. And that certainly is the activity that we believe we're put here to do. But the what doesn't mean a lot if we don't have a tool set to help us obtain it. So if you ask yourself, well, how exactly do we do that? Some of you might struggle a little more. I mean, I certainly had to put a little more thought into that one. I think it centers around this Bible-based community that we have in place. I think that we cultivate community as a place where people can be loved and exposed to the truth of God's Word. I think that's kind of where I would put in the how. But, but if we don't understand the why, 
we miss something really important. It often fails to motivate us, to, to drive us if, we're not, if we don't have this core issue of why in place. Why do we love? Why do we teach? Why do we make and grow disciples? I would actually love for you to jot down your answer to that and see as we unpack Jesus' words here if your answer matches his answer, if your motivator is also his motivator. Let's work through these questions together, and let's start with the what. In verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. So Jesus makes it clear in this metaphor that bearing fruit is the activity that we are supposed to pursue. This is our what. Luke this summer gave a wonderful lesson about um, this passage, and he talked a lot about fruitfulness, the different types of fruit that we see. You know, as we look through Scripture, we hear fruit, and we think of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We, uh, we think of the parable of the sower and the seed, and we think about the expansion of the kingdom through evangelism and bringing others to Christ. But the truth is, in this first section of Jesus' metaphor, he doesn't give us many specifics about what he means by fruit. We can certainly examine the counsel of God's Word and, and develop a lot of ideas about what it looks like to be fruitful, but he doesn't say a lot about it here. I mean, we know several things. The, the fruit must be in the likeness of the vine, so it would be in line with Christ's character and his purpose. Um, we understand that this fruit is a motivator for the vine dresser or the father, so it's, it's something that's desirable and sought after. But really, I think ultimately what we learn from this passage, the, the, the basic thing is this. The father's looking for something. There are some definitive outward results that are expected. So I think we have to dig a little deeper and see if we can learn more. And that brings us to our next question, the how. In verse 4, he says, Abide in me and, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So these definitive outward results, this, this fruit that we're expected to produce, is a result of abiding in Christ. So we can already start to see that if, if we start with the fruit, we're probably not really ever going to get in the right place. The fruit is, is motivated, is driven, is pushed out by, by something deeper. And, and the, the thing that, that pops out to me in this verse is the word abide. And in my head, that, that, that communicates a sort of connectedness. In fact, I think connectedness is key. The, the things God is looking for are the result of being intertwined with and connected to Christ. I also see this idea of exclusivity. It cannot happen without this connection. Remember, Jesus had introduced this concept when he talked last week about being the way, the only way. Jesus is the true vine. So fruit is not going to come as the result of a connection to anything else, even as these things appear good. This means that Civic organizations, political entities, parachurch, parachurch organizations, and even churches can fall into this trap if they're devoid of Christ. The fruit God is looking for 
does not come from anything human-oriented. It only comes from our connection to Christ. Now, knowing what we do and, and how we do it um, can still be a little hard to get behind and be excited about if we don't know the why. So he really gets to the core of the Christian life when he starts answering this one for us. Why do we do the things that we do? You know, if you're like me, you've been guilty at times of just wanting to avoid punishment, of wanting to feel good, maybe of wanting to experience security. But Jesus comes out in verse 8 and makes this bold statement, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. You know, it can be so easy to be drawn to faith for selfish reasons. And I think I have to note that all of the reasons I just mentioned, those are a byproduct of faithful living. Um, but, but Jesus highlights something really powerful here. The fruitful result of our abiding in Christ being, brings glory to God. The fruit of the grapevine isn't utilized by the vine or the branches themselves. It's harvested and used by the vine dresser for his good pleasure. That picture is powerful. You see, what you do matters because it affects how people see God. I want to say that one more time. What you do matters because it affects how people see God. Now, we have to be careful not to take that too far. In Acts chapter 17, Paul reminds us of some powerful truths. In verse 24, he, he's speaking to the Areopagus and he says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. So God certainly doesn't need us. That's not what I'm saying. He doesn't need you to be glorified. He will be glorified even if you choose to do otherwise with your life. But here's the deal. <clears throat> In his being glorified, he has ordained a pathway for that to happen, and it is through his people. It is by the fruit of the branches who abide in Jesus Christ. God's goals don't depend on you, but he certainly does utilize his people as part of his process. Now, if you are like me, I can get excited about that. But there are still some details of all of this that I'm a little unclear on. It feels a little vague when we're told, abide in him and bear fruit. I mean, those sound like good things to say, but if I say, well, what do you mean? I don't know. I think, I think we have some work to do. And that's why I believe Jesus goes into the next teaching section here. And he expands on this metaphor. He knew that we were going to need more. And so starting in verse 9, he tells us, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all, for all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, 
and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Here's the first powerful truth I notice as he expands and clarifies. Love is what connects us. In verses 9 and 10, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. You see that word abide, that's the same word that was used before. He said to produce fruit, we must abide in Him. That was the how that we just discussed. It was the way that we produce fruit. It's the only condition that allows the production of fruit to be possible. And now he clarifies and expands this concept into something that seems a little more tangible. I don't know if you're like me, but I hear the word abide, and kind of the picture I have is like being in a room. And so I kind of think to myself, if I'm going to abide, that's going to be like being with someone, so I'm going to step into the room. But it also means that I could step out of the room. And, and I kind of wrestled with that because it feels like my Christianity becomes this in and out dance that I'm experiencing. And, and, and ultimately what matters is where we find ourselves on the final last day. I, I don't think that's what he means by abide at all. This isn't just a state of being in or being out. It's a state of connectedness. I want you to think for a second about a tree or about, a, or about a, a vine. What connects the branches with the trunk internally? You know, there's a substance that flows through a tree that brings life from the ground upwards and pushes it out to the leaves. There's a, there's a sap that's flowing inside the, the internal elements there. What exactly is the substance that pushes fruit from the vine to the branches? Love. Love is the substance that circulates on the interior of all of our connections that we have with Christ. This is what defines our connection with Him. It's what joins us. It's the lifeblood that circulates within us. He goes on to say this in verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. So abiding in his love means keeping his commandment. And his commandment is that we display the same love to others. So what we see is love flowing in every direction. From the Father to Christ and from Christ to us and from us back to Christ and from us out to others and from others towards us. And really what we end up with is this, this interconnected, mutual web, this circulatory system of love, this sharing in the lifeblood of Christ. That, that is what defines abiding. This is the, the sap that oozes out of the tree, that oozes out of the life of a Christian. It's what we're all supposed to share here together with one another. Scripture's full of this language. Let me read 1 John 4, 16 through 21. It says, So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. 
But perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. You see, his love changes us. It causes us to love others, which changes them. And in this process, throughout all of this, when the world sees this love that's changing, God is glorified. If someone were to ask me to zero in on the essence of this passage, love is what I would point them to. The whole purpose of this metaphor of the vine, I believe, is help you, to help you see that the defining mark of a Christian is love and that it's made possible only by being connected to Jesus Christ. And it's what he gives to us and what he expects us to give to others. So here's my question for you. Do you love these people? Because if you don't know anyone here, or if you would be unwilling to place their needs above your own, then I would argue you don't know Christ, and you aren't abiding in Him, and you aren't producing fruit. And the passage is a little scary for those who are not producing fruit. Because the vine dresser has a responsibility to the vine, to the branches, and to the world to keep the vine clean and to keep it productive. In fact, we find that when we are withdrawn from abiding in this love, when we are not producing, when we are not connected to the vine, we wither away and we stop being productive. We become a fruitless branch that can't be left on the vine. You know, love is so much more than sitting in a pew. Love is so much more than sending in a contribution. Love is so much more than eating an occasional meal together and maybe watching the Super Bowl together and singing a cappella together and feeling good about it. Certainly, certainly we do all those things together. But, but the love that Jesus is laying out here The love that he's talking about is putting someone else's needs above your own, is viewing their life as more important than yours. It's what Christ did for you on the cross. It's the essence of the true vine. It's the long-term goal of the believer. It requires a connection with him and a connection with one another and a connection with the Father. You know, we often get so hung up on the things that we do but we fail to realize that these are motivated by something deeper. Fruit shows up when love is pulsating through our veins, and this can only come through a connection with Christ. Now, how we relate to one another is very, very important, but it's also a little bit paradoxical. It would seem, at first glance, that living that way, that laying your life down for someone else in that fashion would be a pretty lame way to exist. But Jesus counters it in verse 11. He says, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. We aren't motivated by a fear of being burned, but by the joy of a life lived for God's glory. You know, the grapevine doesn't grow grapes to avoid being cut down. That's not why it does what it does. It grows grapes because that is what it was made to do. 
Living right is the best, most joyful, most amazing, most fulfilling way to live. And you will never experience joy until you experience Christ. I'm afraid sometimes we treat our spiritual walk as if it's drudgery, as if we kind of have to miss out on the fun and cut out all of the joy. And this is just our lot on this side of eternity. But I don't think Jesus has ever once laid it out that way. He always lays out this pathway as being better. In fact, right here he says, I want your joy to be full. When you live in a community of love, your laughter reaches different depths. When you live in a community of love, joy permeates through the ups and the downs of this roller coaster of life that we live on. When you live in a community of love, you aren't giving up something good. You're trading something dull for something bright and something small for something big and something temporary for something eternal. So we start to see that we aren't just running away from punishment. We're running towards something good. And then he gives us this one final little nugget to digest. No longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father... I have made known to you. It's, it's like Jesus, as he gets to the end of his journey, calls all of the disciples to the table and he gathers them around and he says, here it is. Like, I have laid it all out for you. I'm giving you access to everything. I'm not lording it over you. I'm not threatening you. I'm not flexing my supremacy or my position. I am calling you to let our love manifest itself as a friendship. I'm not hiding anything about how this works. There are expectations for you to bear fruit. This happens when you abide in me. This means accepting my love and sharing it with others. Ultimately, it is for the purpose of bringing glory to God. And this joyful partnership we have together looks like a friendship. It's like Jesus is asking you, like, let's do this together. And, and I just think, wow. What a message for the disciples to be left with. Friends with Christ. Jesus is the true vine. He is the stable, constant core of everything that matters. And it's the connection with him that makes love possible and joy possible and friendship possible. And it's going to manifest itself in a sacrificial relationship with others. And every possible fruit that could be grown is because of love, and every ounce of love in the world comes from Christ. God is glorified when we are connected to Him, and we are connected to Him when we are connected to others. Church is not a game that we play. It isn't a box that we check. Life happens here in these relationships. So I want to beg you, don't shortchange yourself, and don't shortchange God by reducing faith to listening to a sermon or sitting in a pew, or writing a check. Live connected. Live in love. As we wrap up this series, I hope you have a better understanding of all the powerful and nuanced ways that Jesus is so special. And I hope it pulls you to abide in Him and Him alone. If you have questions, we would love to study with you. If you believe in Jesus but have not put him on in baptism, that's the next step, and we would love to baptize you today. In fact, we would beg you not to leave without baptism covering your sins.
We would love to partner with you if you're struggling. If you're looking for a community to love, this is the place, and we want to love you, and you love us. Let's love together. That's what we're about. Whatever the need is, the invitation is open. We invite you to come forward as we stand and as we sing.